From Utah Public Radio, this is Undisciplined. I'm Matthew LaPlante. Verona was vibrant with life and love, yet was overshadowed by a cold breath. Outside of the walls and hanging above the city, a force unseen, a black death. The plague's grasp on life and its tainted air is pervasive in Shakespeare's tale of Romeo and Juliet and their family's feud. Yet when I learned the scale of this story, when I first saw it as a boy, the plague was a side plot at best. And I was told that it was a play that was deeper than it seemed. And at the behest of my teachers, I looked for those obscure threads, the ones that would make it more than just a play about a teenage love affair. But all I ever saw was foolish lust. But a few weeks back in Cedar City, I saw this play in a new way. It all happened in the party scene, the pretty girls and the handsome boys, all masked for a ball. The director, Betsy Mugavaro, and the festival's costumer, Bill Black, had the actors wear those masks way down low over their mouths. To me, this really hacked up the lines between history and present, between a fiction hundreds of years old and a fact of life of the way we spent the past few years. And this idea took hold. And it got me considering that maybe plague wasn't just something that was keeping Friar Lawrence's letter from promptly reaching Romeo. I started thinking perhaps the plague was deeply embedded in Shakespeare's work. Disease was systemic back in those times. So is this play wedded to the very idea of pandemic? Isabel Smith Bernstein has been working with the Utah Shakespeare Festival as a dramaturg since 2015. And in this season, the festival has been the center of many discussions about plague, a topic that has seldom had so many deep repercussions as it does today. Isabel. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Isabel, the scene that I think most people who have seen or read Romeo and Juliet can identify with plague is when Friar Lawrence sends a fellow man of the cloth, Friar John, to go find Romeo and deliver to him this letter telling him of of this plan that he's hatched with Juliet to fake her own death. And The letter doesn't arrive because of a quarantine due to plague. But it it turns out that there's so many other places that the influence of plague are unsaid, but definitely felt in this play. Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think what's actually sort of important in RNJ is like setting it historically, too. So um, it's written in about uh, 15 94, and there was a severe outbreak of plague in 1592 through 1593. So the echoes of it are really all over the piece. And one of these echoes is that these two families that really hate each other are locked into the city together, Verona. Yeah, we, in our rehearsal process for this show, we really thought of Verona as being walled in and everyone being stuck in the city due to quarantine, which which is something that absolutely happened. Uh, Shakespeare himself, uh, he actually experienced a few different uh, quarantines and a a lot of instances of plague. And so it really kind of influenced our thinking of it as Verona as being very, very self-sustaining and cut off. 
the start of of our pandemic, the one that you and I and everybody else in the world just went through, there was this brief moment, at least in the United States, it felt like this, in which nearly everybody seemed to be trying really hard to protect themselves and others and exhibiting a lot of patience for the ways you know, that life had changed or life had to change in order for us to flatten the curve of riding, rising infections. But then everything really boiled over. And what I now gather is that that boiling over might not have been a modern reaction to lockdowns and certainty. It really comes through in this play that Shakespeare wrote after a big pandemic as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about sort of like if if we think back to 2020 or like 2021, um, especially I think like in the summer of 2020 when it was still kind of new, how like being cooped up in one place for a really long time and maybe like with your family that you haven't lived with in a long time um, (laughs) and uh, it's hot outside and just you've been trapped inside of a house, even going outside feels dangerous. I think that uh, is very much part of what kind of happens in Shakespeare's Verona, uh, because these characters are kind of only meeting each other outside. And when they do meet outside, uh, it ends badly. Can we talk also about Juliet's father? I mean, here's a guy who's often played as a pretty big jerk, but I feel like his actions take on this new light when you view them in context of a plague that you know, could at any time take this guy's life and leave his daughter without someone to care for her. Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. And I think it was important um, in our production too. So uh, uh, Lord Capulet is sometimes played as actually even worse than uh, Tim Fullerton played him in our production. Sometimes he's kind of a domestic abuser, but his words are so bad that we didn't feel like we really needed that. But also um, it's sort of an easier way to I don't know, justify him a little bit uh, because in the beginning, as Paris is asking to marry Juliet, uh, Lord Capulet says that they should wait a few years because she's still so young. But then as soon as Tybalt dies, which of course is not from plague, but maybe kind of a result of the tension of the plague, if the plague is a social uh, disruption, um, as soon as Tybalt dies, that's when Lord Capulet uh, he really turns and says Juliet have to, has, has to get married immediately because he's really seen that somebody could die at any moment. Yeah, so life already has this sort of tinge on it of the you know impending doom, but then we we layer things on top of that. And this kind of, again, harkens back to this thing we were saying earlier about how maybe everything was scary but felt okay for a while and then it really just sort of boiled over and this is really a catalyst for all of these decisions that these characters are making yeah it it absolutely is i mean that pressing feeling of the impending doom of everybody around you and the sort of ephemeralness of kind of like feeling like anybody could be taken from you at any moment it totally affects everyone it probably affected shakespeare too um Shakespeare was born in 1564, and his parents, uh, they had lost two of his siblings during a plague outbreak, and Shakespeare at three months old was quarantined with his parents, and and he made it through. There's also, I want to touch on some of these other sort of plot points that I had never really recognized as plague-related until I saw this post-plague. There's the stupid kids part of this play with... Romeo and Juliet so rushed to wed, which is, 
you know, already a little hard to understand, I think, in a modern context. But when you layer a pandemic on top of this, again, this chance that these kids might not make it another few weeks or another few months or another moon, their their eagerness to be together seems it 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 feels more understandable. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if all you've ever known is sort of this degree of loss. So if we sort of think about our own pandemic um, and sort of if it had lasted for even longer, if we had been born into it. And I see that a little bit now with some of my college students who were high schoolers in the pandemic. And it kind of seems to have changed their outlook on life. They're more interested in having fun um, in, in, in living in, in the moment because uh, the assurity that everything's always going to be there was kind of taken away from them. Now, all of this is largely unspoken in the play. Again, like the only direct mention of the plague, I think, is the scene in which a quarantine prevents Friar Lawrence's letter from getting to Romeo. Is it fair to guess that in Shakespeare's time would have recognized these things, would have had experiences with them and felt them, and they didn't need to have somebody, you know, a fool stand up and go, hey, audience, we're talking about plague here. Yeah, I think so. I think it's in everyone's very recent memory. Um, I think that we really felt that as like a performing company too. Like I worked on this production, I, I worked on this play in uh, 2017 as well. And of course we weren't even thinking about this really because it was the before times. Um, and it's interesting because Shakespeare writes about plague in a few of his other plays. It's sort of this it's used as, as an insult, often very casually, which kind of shows that it's kind of a function in everyday life. And in RNJ, um, the in that scene in Act Five, Scene Two, when the friar is talking about being uh, quarantined, he, he calls it an infectious pestilence. Um, and the other time that plague is mentioned in RNJ is when Mercutio is cursing them and says a plague on both your houses, which he says four times. Oh, but you know what? I didn't know. I everybody knows that line right and i've never ever connected it to actual plague it's just it's like a, a curse but it's it's a curse with very visceral meaning at that time like he wants you to die of this horrible horrible thing that a lot of people are dying of yeah absolutely and he, he wants everyone to die of it and being cursed by a man who is already dying uh, is a pretty bad thing in Shakespeare. And so then to have this particular curse has a certain kind of resonance. Um, and he, he puts it on both of them. And in a way, uh, his curse actually comes true since uh, Romeo and Juliet both die. You mentioned that plague shows up as an insult in a lot of uh, Shakespearean play, I think Lear said, thou art a boil, mm -hmm. a plague sore, which is pretty brutal, um, as Lear tends to be. Uh, but I, I really would love to know, like, do you think that there are other Shakespeare plays? For instance, you mentioned that he wrote Coriolanus during the plague. Are there other plays that are sort of subtly imbued with the experience of plague that we're seeing now that Romeo and Juliet was in this way that feels connective to us? Is there other literature from Shakespeare's works that um, also had plague as this really pressing threat? I actually don't think so. I think Romeo and Juliet is the only play where plague is really featured. Um, and it could be because of the recent outbreak of plague. And so he mentions it and we sort of feel the bleakness and the sense of loss 
from it, I think in Lear, in Time and of Athens, and in Coriolanus, which he all he writes all of those plays very close together. But the play where Plague is really kind of a character is really only Romeo and Juliet. And, you know, in all of Shakespeare's plays, in all the many ways that people die, uh, being baked into pies, um, uh, mysteriously offstage, drowning, stabbings, um, nobody ever dies of plague. Um, and I think it could be because that was just too real, maybe, and too taboo. You could just see audiences. This was the day when audiences were standing in the theaters, like, and they were interacting with the players, right? You could see audiences just going like, too yeah. soon, too soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Someone throws fruit. I don't want to hear about this right now. <laughs> I come here to escape my problems. Yeah, not to see them on stage. <laughs> so, which may be an explanation for why it's sort of a subtle character, right? I mean, it's it's... Now that I've been alerted to this, it's so clear, right? But up until I was alerted to this, I didn't see it at all. And again, it's it's not very overt in the play. Um, but that might have been one of the reasons why it didn't need to be overt in the play. Because, again, like everybody had felt that. And Shakespeare didn't need to shove it, you know, in their faces. Right, exactly. And that's why I feel like now seeing RNJ, maybe it feels overt because we too have had a recent experience of a pandemic, but it didn't. Uh, and so it's similar in, in Shakespeare's day. And But if you're not looking for it, it's sort of, I guess, it's not there. Uh, and of course, in, in our production, we are helping it a little bit. Like those masks at the ball are usually on the top half of the face, but we put them on on the bottom half just to kind of drive our point home a little bit. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. The director of this year's production at the Utah Shakespeare Festival is Betsy Mugavero. And oh, Mugavero, yeah. Mugavero. And and she she actually played Juliet at the festival in 2017. She did. Um I I don't think it can all I don't I don't think it can at all be said that she like leaned hard into the pandemic themes. They, I think they remain just as subtle in this production as they ever have been with kind of this, the exception of this party scene and this thing that I've never seen in a masquerade scene, not in Shakespeare, not in anything else. Usually at these sorts of parties and the, the scenes that they inspire, the masks that are worn go over people's eyes and foreheads and maybe cheekbones. But Betsy had these actors wearing masks over their mouths and noses, uh, which I gather from you is very intentional. And yes. And, yeah. T talk about that. Yeah, it was very intentional um, and sort of as all things do in theater, things, there are ideas and then things get edited and changed. I think in Betsy's original imagining, there were going to be even more uh, masks kind of present, but we found it just a little bit, I don't know, upsetting triggering just to have everybody in masks like that again so soon so they're in the party uh, it's part of bill black's costume design to kind of just emphasize that like this is the first party maybe that people have had in a really long time uh, because of the plague and so there's kind of a greater sense of joy in our party as well where sometimes i think that masquerade that party in r and j can really feel like kind of a dirge where everyone's kind of sad 
You know, I I chuckled a little bit when I saw it because the Utah Festival, like many festivals, has had rules in place during the past few seasons that actors had to be masked for a time if they were returning to the stage after having COVID. And I know that some audience members didn't like this a lot because they felt like it muffled the actors' voices or didn't allow them to see their mouths and their expressions. And, and now those rules, I think, have been ended, but we end up with these masks anyway on stage as, as the result of a artistic direction, but they were also designed sort of brilliantly, I think in a way that gave off you know, clear COVID mask vibes, but they were also sort of beaked a little bit, which both gave sort of plague mask vibes. And also I think allowed for the actors voices to come through a little better. I, I assume that was all by design as well. Yeah, all by design. So the women are sort of wearing more like cloth veils um, and the and the men are wearing those sort of more plague mask, a, a reminiscent mask, and they allow for sound to carry through. And of course, uh, our actors do take those off if they're going to talk a lot. Or of course, Romeo and Juliet have to kiss. And so they take off their masks. And there's actually a big discussion in rehearsal about sort of should they wear masks as they first see each other? When did they take them off? And it ended up being, it kind of got less and less as it went on. Less and less mask wearing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just because the practicality of it and because Juliet has to dance and we felt like if Romeo was falling in love with her at first sight, he should get to see her whole face. <laughs> You've been involved in productions of Romeo and Juliet before in 2017 uh, at the Utah Shakespeare Festival uh, that was uh, directed by J.R. Sullivan. Uh, and in 2018, uh, you uh, contributed to an adaptation for the Colorado Shakespeare Festival for a violence in schools prevention program. Those both took place a few years before COVID-19 hit. And so I'm really wondering if plague was on your mind as such an important, as you said earlier, character when you were assisting in those productions, or if it only sort of revealed itself to you as a character in this sort of visceral way, you know, once we had gone through our pandemic experience? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it hit me quite as much as it did th this time around. I've always been an advocate of leaving in that Friar John scene, Act 5, Scene 2. It's very often cut because if you're trying to, say, uh, modernize a production of Romeo and Juliet, it was very hard to justify that scene. But I've always felt that you need it. Otherwise, you're actually missing one of the building blocks of Romeo and Juliet because the whole play is like a carefully laid out uh, dominoes. And if you take out one domino, the whole thing doesn't fall the right way. So I noticed it, but I didn't feel it, maybe is the right way to phrase it. Are you now hearing conversations from others who do the sort of work that you do of others who are around Shakespeare spaces about how people are coming to recognize this sort of hidden or understated plot point, maybe even in some cases completely unrecognized part of the setting for this play. And I guess, I guess what I mean here is this, is this a conversation you and I are having right now, or is this a conversation that is being experienced across the world of Shakespeare? Yeah, that's a good question. I would have to see other Romeo and Juliet's that have sort of been produced since 2020 and sort of see how they're tackling the issue of plague. I just think it's so unavoidable now that I think it must be a conversation, a current conversation about this play, but I, I'm not totally keyed into all the productions that are happening. I, I know that plague for other 
plays has also been a discussion. I know that last year, as we did Lear, there was sort of an interest in how Lear, he wrote it during a pandemic. Uh, and it's, it sort of feels like there's a lot of isolation, a different kind of madness there. But I think Romeo and Juliet's probably, I just can't imagine ignoring this at this point. You have taught play analysis at the State University of New York and the University of Colorado. And I I imagine you're often trying to get students to think about how the context of the past intersects and diverges from the context of the contemporary. And I'm also guessing that it can be hard because different people have different lived experiences and we really rarely have something that everybody went through at the same time. And I don't want to at all suggest that everybody's COVID experience was the same. Obviously that's not true, but almost nobody was spared from a world that was altered by the pandemic. And from a teaching perspective, I got to figure that's like some really great, valuable joint currency for talking about Shakespeare. Yeah, you'd think so. I taught Romeo and Juliet last spring, and my students were not moved by this. Um, could always Wait, what? It a bit more. Yeah, I, I have to say, Romeo and Juliet is a hard sell to undergraduates, in my experience. <laughs> Why do you think they weren't moved by? I mean, you you brought up the pandemic as a character, the plague as a character, right? And they shrugged. I did. Yeah, I think I think part of I think because of of the generation that they are, and because they were you know in high school during the pandemic and in early college during the pandemic, they just don't want to talk about it anymore. And even if it's sort of about them, I think talking about it is different than seeing a production that kind of speaks to it. And since I hadn't worked on this one yet, uh, I couldn't talk quite as viscerally about a production and how it would incorporate it. But maybe it'll go better this next semester. Hmm. Well, I got I got to say it became for me and, you know, I think I act like an undergraduate a lot. So it became for me very visceral upon seeing the production and perhaps that's true perhaps if we had only had a conversation with it it wouldn't have hit me as much um well how long do you think that this stays relevant for audiences even if it doesn't feel relevant in the college classroom like how long does the joint currency of having gone through a pandemic together retain its value as sort of this touch point that we're all feeling when we watch Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. And I feel like usually what we kind of see in our culture, particularly in sort of our fast culture, is that things come in and out very quickly. But I feel like because the pandemic altered all of our lives irrevocably forever, that it's going to be sort of a shared experience and it's going to be something that changes how we view things, I think, for a very long time, because I don't think those of us who lived through the worst of the pandemic and the quarantine, the lockdown are going to forget it anytime soon, especially because it changed uh, a lot of our lives. It also sort of changed like our brain chemistry, right? People are now like more anxious and maybe sadder than they were before. Do you think the pandemic will be either an avert or inferred driving force in the way that you were thinking about and helping 
others think about productions of Shakespeare in coming years, even if it's not necessarily a character as it is in Romeo and Juliet, but it is a, again, this shared life experience. Yeah, I think so, because it's just so hard not to think about, especially because Shakespeare in his lifetime, there were so many plague outbreaks. And so he, I do think he's reacting to them a lot in his plays. And so uh, in 2021, which was our first season back after uh, we had lost a season because of the pandemic, we did a production of Pericles. And Pericles uh, is is a play that reopened English theaters after they were all shut down after the pandemic. And so that really changed how I thought of Pericles. I'd worked on it once before. I sort of knew this fact. But actually, that was my first play back in a theater after the pandemic. And so that kind of changed how I saw that play forever. And so I'm curious how it will keep changing my uh, my perception of plays. That's Isabel Smith-Bernstein. She's a dramaturg with the Utah Shakespeare Festival, which this year is staging four Shakespearean works, Timon of Athens, Coriolanus, A Midsummer Night's Dream, and Romeo and Juliet. The festival runs through early October, and you can learn more about those plays and the others being staged in Cedar City at bard.org. Isabel, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio. And if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us on UPR every Thursday morning at 1030 and on KCPW at 10 on Thursday and noon on Sunday. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our program is supported by public radio listeners like you. So if you're a donor to Utah Public Radio or KCPW in Salt Lake City, we want to thank you. And if you're not, why not? Head over to upr.org and click on the donate link and make sure in the comments you let them know that you're a supporter of this program. Our producer is Claire Scott. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot. And I'm Matthew LaPlante. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.